Welcome to the Evergreen Christian Church Podcast. This episode will be a reflection from a Bible study after the fact. I am currently recording this with a mask on because there are people in our building using it for uh, musical rehearsals for youth. So if this sounds muffled, that is why. But please enjoy these reflections upon the Evergreen Christian Church Bible study. I'm going to apologize now for the jumpiness of this uh, Bible study recording. It is because uh, the batteries and the mic were dying, and so the mic cut off several times, and so I had to start and stop and start and stop. And then I figured out it was the battery, even though the mic didn't give me a warning that the batteries were dry. So that is why this is as jumpy as it is. I apologize for that. Hopefully it's better in the future. We've started a Bible study at Evergreen Christian Church. Uh, this was our second week, and I've decided to start um, not recording the Bible study, but recording some key points from the Bible study that we can disseminate through videos. Uh, I'm not doing this extemporaneously or off the top of my head, so if you see me glancing back and forth, it's because I'm looking at my notes on the computer, and if you see the notes in the computer on my glasses, don't read ahead. We're going to read together a passage from Luke. It's Luke 14, 25 through 35. And as we read this passage, I want you to listen for words, phrases, ideas that stick out to you. Again, then, this is Luke 14, starting at verse 25 to 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Would you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but it loses its saltiness. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit for neither the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There are some questions I would invite you to reflect on. 
The first is, we know Jesus is specifically speaking to a crowd following him. What do you think Jesus is trying to impart to that crowd? The next question is, how would you feel if you were part of this crowd following Jesus? And finally, how does this scripture speak to us today? I will say that in our Bible study, the phrase that stuck out the most for most everybody was that very beginning, I think verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, and yes, even their own life cannot be my disciple. It's a very jarring phrase, and I think that gets into how we would feel if we are part of the crowd following Jesus, obviously shocked. Like, are you kidding me? Here's how I interpret the passage. As many Bibles note, this is about the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus, and that cost could be literally everything. It could not only cost you personal possessions, your time and your energy, it might make your family hate you, and it could cost you your life. One must be willing to give up everything to follow Christ. Now, this doesn't mean to me that disciples of Christ all give up all relationships or possessions, but for the people, especially the people Jesus is talking to, to follow Jesus at that time could cost them literally everything disowned by their communities and their families, could cost them their lives. If we compare this passage in Luke with its parallel passage in Matthew, which is Matthew 16, the language in Matthew is a lot less harsh. Matthew says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save themselves, their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. Not only is Matthew's language less harsh, but there's also a balance of finding life after losing it. That to deny themselves is to actually live their life in the fullest. Matthew reminds us that there is new life to be found in Jesus Christ, even if we have to lose an old life to get there. But again, I think we can't take this passage away from its context when we try to understand it. This passage from Luke, Jesus is talking to a crowd, and many may or may not understand how costly this will be. When Jesus says, whoever does not carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple, we now have the hindsight to know that Jesus would be literally crucified and put on a cross 
So there's some significant meaning for us in that. But these folks would have understood the cross and crucifixion as a means of Roman judgment and Roman execution. To hear you may have to pick up your own cross is to know that the Roman state might kill you for what you're doing. That is what is at stake here. So while I don't think Jesus literally means you must hate your family, I think Jesus means these two things. If you are going to follow me, you have to be prepared for what will happen. You have to know what it might cost you, what it most likely will cost you. And also, this Greek word for hate, misei, um, it does mean to detest, and I think hate is, is right, but it can also be glossed to mean to love less. You must love your family less than God. You must love yourself less than God. And that in, is, in itself very costly. But I don't believe that Jesus does not want us to love. When asked the greatest commandments, Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. There's clearly a demand from Jesus to love ourselves and to love our neighbors, to navigate our relationships with love. I don't think this means we have to literally love nothing or literally hate our lives. Especially because Jesus says he comes to give life and give it in abundance. But we must navigate our love for each other and our love for ourselves through a love of God. And I think we know the truth that loving God helps us to love ourselves and to love others. Being firmly planted in the foundation of God's love gives us more capacity and more energy and helps right our relationships and God's love, which is justice and peace. Not a love that is narcissistic or obsessive. It helps us to prioritize God, which then helps us to love in the ways God loves and extend that to ourselves, to our friends and our family. So why does Jesus say it this way? I think it's because the stakes are so high. These folks must know what they are getting into. And the other reason is, which is tied to that first reason, they must know what they're getting into, that Christ is saying you must know the costs because you should be able to live it out fully. And that's where this mention of salt comes in. And, well, even today, salt is one of the most important chemicals we have. But especially back then, salt was used in so many things. Uh, I'm not sure if it was used in the preservation of foods, but I'm assuming it was. And I know it was used in farming practices. It was used to uh, de-weed things. Uh, salt has tons and tons of uses. But for them, they would get salt from the Dead Sea. I know to say 
salt loses. Its saltiness doesn't make a ton of sense for us, maybe. But for them, they would get the salt from the Dead Sea. And if the salt stayed out and it rained, it could wash away the salt and leave only the nasty mud and, and gross soil. And so, therefore, the salt would lose its saltiness. It would lose all of its effectiveness and then be thrown out. So, in many ways, salt acted as a way of allowing growth. And I think Jesus is so critically warning the disciples about, or the followers, about the costs. And I think of it this way. I think about um, these times I've been asked to do something, to sit on a committee or a board or be involved in something, and then when you get to that place, you realize how much more work it actually is than you anticipated, how much more bureaucracy or crap is involved with doing that thing. And you think, like, I don't want to do this. And your effectiveness, your ability to grow and to be present is just dramatically cut because you jumped into this thing that costs more and demands more than you expected. And Jesus wants the crowd to stay salty. He wants them to know what it will cost because he wants them to stay effective and authentic and flavorful. To answer that question of what would it be like to be part of the crowd following Jesus, I reflected, it's a lot like me being a white person for the first time being told about white privilege or any number of those kind of like earth-shaking revelations about the world and the way it works. But for me, it was like being told about white privilege for the first time. And it sounds a lot like you have to hate yourself or hate your family. But when you reflect upon it, when you learn more about it, and it makes more sense, you maybe then realize it's not all about me. Maybe I need to decenter myself. And then you get a bigger and wider picture. But that feeling of uh, <laughs> the foundation crumbling under you and the defensiveness and resistance to that, I think that's how I would have felt. That's my closest analogy to that feeling that these followers might have had with Jesus saying these things to them. I think this scripture still speaks to us today. That discipleship is still costly, maybe not in the same ways that it would have been for them. We uh, in the United States, Christians, white Christians especially, will not be persecuted by the state. We won't be jailed or killed for our faith. And most likely, our families won't disown us. It may cause rifts to state who we know God to be. Especially for churches, Christians that are open and affirming, for Groups that are saying God is a God of love and a God of acceptance. There might be some uh, social rifts, some rifts in the family to say that. 
And it may cost us in monetary ways and ways of time and energy and living into true discipleship means acting in ways that aren't always socially or financially or politically expedient. I especially think of churches that, for instance, instead of selling valuable land, develop affordable housing, or churches and people that partake in programs that bring undesirable folks into the neighborhood. That might cost financially, might cost in terms of members, and in terms of social capital, but it is living into the ministry that Christ is calling us to live into. And so we might have to be willing to go into the unconventional and the costly in order to live into that ministry that Christ gives us. And so giving up everything might mean giving up our fears and anxieties about living into that call that God is calling us into. And what this passage from Luke does not say is what Christ says, that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. We have to realize that Christ gives love and life abundantly. And that by living into these costly ministries, we also yield good fruit. But when we are the beginning, especially, of these costly ministries, what we so often don't see is the fruit, but we see the cost. And so we have to be willing to live into the cost. It also says to me that we need to stay salty. That we need to keep those things that make us flavorful, that help us preserve and enhance the world around us, those things that allow us to grow. And it says to me that if we stay afraid of the cost of discipleship, if we keep being afraid of what it might cost and avoid any and all risks, we'll find ourselves smoothed out and we have lost our saltiness. So instead of trying to minimize risk, we need to maximize what we do with our salt. We have to live into our flavors, into our usefulness, and into our own growth and the growth we can provide for others. Finally, we have to take up our own crosses. For us, this means we have to take account of our sin, of the ways we are distancing ourselves from God and be willing to atone for it as we carry it with us. Part of discipleship is giving everything including the ways we fool ourselves into thinking we don't have crosses to bear. This is a rich text. There's a lot of ways to interpret it and a lot to glean from it. So I am going to ask you these questions and hope you ponder on them as I read the text again. What sticks out to you about this passage and why do you think it's sticking out to you? What lesson do you believe Jesus is giving the crowd following him? And if you were part of that crowd following Jesus and heard this, how would you feel? 
And have you felt like that before? What is the closest you felt to that? And finally, how is the scripture speaking to you today? Luke 14, 25 through 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. It is the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Whoever has ears to hear, let them listen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.